How's it, everybody? Welcome back for another episode with me, Nick. As always, I'm joined by my good buddy, sometimes not so good buddy, Ronald over here. Not good when I'm beating you at Superbrew. Yeah, but that's never happened, so we don't really have to talk about that. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks for coming. Bit of a grim Tuesday, though. We're not naming a Bok team today. We're not prepping for the rugby this weekend, you know. Bit of a blue one. Yeah, it's sad. There's not much more to say to that, but we did lose to the All Blacks, who, in my opinion, are still the team to beat, and they've been dominant for 20 years for a reason. Yeah, that's for sure. And I know you're also pretty bleak at me, Ronnie, because I'm forcing you to go to Ellis Park next weekend. Also bleak because you backed the All Blacks in Superbrew. I absolutely did no such thing. Okay, good. Just checking. <laughs> Just last checking. Year, last year, you did back the Australians over the Springboks. I did. That's true. And I did make a very ridiculous pick this weekend, but we'll definitely get into that a little bit later when we chat about what went down in Superbrew. A lot of action this weekend that we need to address, Ronnie, that's for sure. Yeah, so let's get into it. All Blacks 35, 20 box. Yeah, so it's a little bit disappointing. I want to say that the score is not truly reflective of the game, but I think it actually is. Look, first half didn't go too well. We've got three points. Came close at the end of the first half, but still a very dominant performance from the All Blacks. Yeah, I think just as a starting point for me. So interestingly enough, this was the All Blacks' 100th win in the Rugby Championship slash Tri-Nations tournaments. Okay, so well done to them. It was also their 4,000th point that they scored this weekend. Okay, Dan Connor still haven't scored one-tenth of all yeah, points. 3,901 of those points are all <laughs> Dan Carter's. And it was also their 450th try that they scored this weekend. Well, okay, and a couple of Barrett brothers also got their 50th uh, cap. Yeah, so that's the other one. The first trio of brothers ever to earn more than 50 test caps. So Bowden Barrett has 114, which is actually a shitload. Scott has 60. And now Geordie's come in at 50. I would have thought he had actually played more, but okay. Yeah, I also, also would have thought it's more, but yeah, impressive from the Barrett brothers. Their parents must be super proud of them. That's one hell of an achievement, and all from the same family just takes it up a notch as well. But Ronnie, let's take this game step by step, because I think there's quite a bit that we need to chat about in the game. So initial thoughts, you know, box well beaten, all blacks played too well. What was the situation there? Yeah, I think they obviously came out firing and the box on the back foot from the start and we never really clawed our way back into the game. We came close, but yeah, not not to be. I think, well, they scored 17 points in the first 15 minutes and they were beating the clock and that always makes me nervous, even when we play Xbox. But look, then we had a 35-minute period where they didn't score. We held them to it and we did really well. And then we came back a little bit at the end there, but then the All Blacks just, you know, back to back to their roots and took it up a notch in the last uh, 10, 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, so key in this whole thing is that first 20 minutes. I mean, the box were thoroughly outplayed in that, that moment. Stephen Kitsoff going as far as saying, you know, they felt like they were trying to tackle ghosts. So what did we get so wrong in the first 20 that we then somewhat corrected after that? I can't really decide what it was that we got wrong in the first 20. I think maybe the moment was a little bit too great. That tends to happen to a lot of teams. You know, we haven't played the All Blacks over there in a while. And then when we go over there, the moment's just so big because it is such a great test match. It's, in my opinion, the greatest rivalry in rugby and it's our biggest, biggest opponents, which also means that a loss isn't that, doesn't hurt that much because I respect them enough to, to acknowledge that they were the better team on the day. Yeah, I have to agree with you. The sting from a loss to the All Blacks is much reduced 
to the likes of losing to England or something no, like that. that. That's that's bad. But I mean, the All Blacks, they, they played exceedingly well. Everything went their way in that first 20 minutes. The lines they were running, the speed at which they were getting the ball and the pace that they were hitting the ball at was really, really impressive from, for me to see. And something we've missed by not playing them in Super Rugby, you know, that pace, you see it from the Crusaders, from the Blues at times. But we were well off the pace. And I know Jake White had come out and said, you know, the box players based in Japan are soft. They're not test match hardened. Was that the case here in the first 20 minutes? Perhaps. Perhaps that is the case. But look, we've got enough players from other parts of the world where they are very hardened. And I think we've got a a good mix across the board. Although if you watch a recent interview that they had with Faf de Klerk, Will Genia and Matt Gitto, Faf acknowledges that uh, playing in Japan is a different kettle of fish. You know, they don't, they, don't, they don't raise the way that we are in certain countries, specifically South Africa, where you learn to tackle, you know, a block of wood at the age of five. So, yeah, it's different to playing over there. It's definitely different, and it's definitely made me grateful that there's a number of warm-up games coming as well. But now you look at the the box, they will have been there a week early. That was preparation time that we thought was going to be quite a big advantage. It didn't pan out to be that way. And I mean, I can't help but wonder if the team was maybe too emotionally charged as well after what had happened in the week with Jaden and, and Urban's fathers. You know, that's definitely played on the team. You could see it in their eyes at the anthems and, and all of that. And I mean, not making any excuses, we were well beaten. But something went on in that first 20 minutes that was a bit out of character for the box. Look, I just want to say, sending over a split squad there to acclimatize to the conditions and the time zones and whatnot is not a bad idea. It worked for us before. And you know what? We weren't, we, we weren't demolished. It wasn't a 57-0 throbbing that happened on the weekend. We still, we still played relatively well in certain aspects. So, look, you can't blame it on the fact that we had a split squad and a squad that wasn't match fit. You know, there's pros and cons to both sides. And the team was very open about that. Jacques mentioned that in his press conferences. So, look, it's just us, you know, employ, deploying a strategy that, that didn't quite work out for us this time around. But it has before. Yeah, and maybe it hurt us in, in terms of the team's performance. But I definitely don't think we've lost anything in terms of player welfare management with a long year of rugby still to come. So maybe the benefits will be drawn out of there later on in the year when it really matters. You know, it's not something I'm going to fault the coaches on. They did what they thought was right at the moment. And yeah, still believe in the systems they have in place. Still believe in the systems, right? I mean, we had a dark year in 2018. And, you know, we still ended up beating the All Blacks over there. And that really gave us the motivation to know that we could win the World Cup. So it's not all doom and gloom. There's still opportunities here to really get our machine well-oiled. And we still have to play the, the All Blacks before we go to the World Cup. And I'm not sure, if did you watch the Rock, Paper, Scissors? With Sam Kane and Sia. Yeah. Okay, so the All Blacks are essentially the home game, the home team when it comes to Twickenham. That's fine. We're going there to beat the English. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, also just some of the All Blacks players. I thought Shannon Frizzell had a massive Excellent. Game. I think he finally announced himself properly on the international stage giving off Jonah Lomu, Deja Vu, tumbling over Philly. Just about to say, Philly's not going to want to watch the replay of that too often. I think the same way that my cat doesn't want to watch video of Jonah Lomu running over him, although he's probably seen that 1,050 times. For sure. But I mean, to be fair to Philly, he was the fourth Springbok that Shannon went over. So yeah, very, very 
big performance from him. I think he took his opportunities well. That was great. He's honestly he's very good. It really was great to see. I thought All Blacks front row had a pretty good test as well. Ethan de Kruit and Tyrell Lomax performing very, very well. That was very good to see. In the scrums, you could see they held us. There wasn't a very dominant performance from either side, but we did, we did stand up against the opposition. Our front row thought did well. Their front row did very well. It was a good clash. And I think if you are into, into props and the very little that they do on the field, you'll be very happy. Yeah, I listen to Ronnie there. These eight men don't really know what they were, they're talking about. So, Ronnie, then if we take a look, your boy, Richie Monga, had a bit of a good game at 10. Yeah, a bit of a good game. Bit of a good game. Bit of a good game. <laughs> but then we look across the park. There's been a lot of chat this week about Damien Willemser, whether or not he should be played at 10 again. You know, is he a 10? I'm not curious t- for your thoughts, right? He's a utility back, but my concern with that is you can't play 10 as a utility back if you cannot kick. But somebody in the team needs to be able to kick and... You can, you, can, you can forgive the 10 for not being able to kick if you really have a good other kicker in the team. We don't have that. To be running around and saying, oh, well, let's let Faf kick, let's let Ches and Colby kick, because we don't actually have a 10 that can kick, well, then, you know, we have Marnie Libok on the bench. Yeah, so that's the, the thing. You know, Damien is obviously the utility player the box are looking to rely on. So he does need game time at 10. But starting him at 10 is doing him no service to his confidence, to his form, to any of that. If you're going to play him there, let him rotate in. And secondly, if you're going to start him at 10, then let him play as a 10. Billy LaRue took almost every ball as first receiver in that test. Clearly not trusting Damien in the role you've now selected him. So I'm not really sure how you expect to get the best out of a player in that situation. It's been a number of seasons now where our 10s and 15s have really alternated as first receiver. But you're right, there should still be the majority of our first ball uh, play going to our, you know, our 10. 10, right? And that wasn't the case. A little bit disappointing. But look, if, <laughs> if we're going to play him as a utility and use him as a flaw, my friend's got to practice kicking a bit. So look, we're not taking anything away from the talent that Damien Willemse has. He's an incredible player. We've raved about him before. We've raved about him. What we're just saying is 10 is not his position. 10 is his backup stopgap. We need to now look. We've got four games left before the World Cup. Marnie Lubok has to start at least two of those. And hopefully we can get Andre Pollard in for for two of those as well. Otherwise, Mornay staying. Otherwise, yeah. Mornay, start defrosting, my brew. So, or Ruan Pinar. That, or Ruan Pinar. But, you know, something needs to be done there because Mani definitely needs time in the saddle to gain some confidence to, to really take control of that team. But you mentioned kicking here, Ronnie. So I just want to take you through the kicking stats. Our most accurate kick in South Africa since the last World Cup is Andre Pollard. He's hit over 21 out of 25 kicks for an 84% success rate. Next up is Faf de Klerk. Seven from nine kicks with a 72% conversion rate. Then we have Marnie Lubok, nine from 13. Then you've got Damian Willemse who comes in with eight from 14. That's a 57% conversion rate. Yeah, that's bad. So can you guess who our best kicker is though? Probably got one from one. 100%. Franz Stein. Nope, Jaden Henderson. Jaden Henderson. One from one. Well, a legend. 100%. That's the sort of fly-off you want, right? But not exactly fly-off. Yeah, so Jaden's there. But while we're on the topic of kicking, what did you make of Marnie Lubok going quickly for the drop goal after we scored? Well, if you're going to wait for a tee, the clock's going to run out and that'll be the end of the game. So go for the 
Go for the drop goal. We're clearly in there to, to score another try. By all means, go for it. We did it to back in school. We actually also hit the post. We managed to, to kick off again with seconds to go on the clock. Uh, we didn't get the try, but we came close. Yeah, I think I've seen two schools of thought of this on our page in the comment sections this week. Those that say, you know, well done, Marnie, you should back yourself to go for it to score another try. You know, you wanted to pull the game back. And the other saying, well, why didn't we reduce the deficit? By two points. Yeah. Uh, two points is it's too small. It's a drop in the ocean when you it's look negligible. at... negligible. It's negligible. When you look at the points differences in the other games, you're still well ahead of, uh, of I suppose, Argentina. Yeah. So that was definitely an interesting one for me. I think Marnie did the right thing. I would have also gone for it. But that's just because you I'm, would a have, and I'm an excellent... That's... You may... Okay, well, I don't have to write that reply. Then, Ronnie, a lot of hate this week has been directed, one, towards Lucania, which wow. baffles me. Did he have a bad game? Apparently, he had a bad game. Yeah, but he had a bad game because we played him on the wing, and I hate that the fact that they'd move him to wing. I mean, he's, a, he's, he's one of the world's, if not the world's best outside center. And the only reason I'm saying putting a bit of an asterisk there is because he's been out for, for some time. But he is. He's world-class. Play him at center. If you're going to sub in Damien Willemser for some game time at center and move the whole bloody team around, just take him off the field, rather. Just, you no, can't play him on the wing. wing. Now, I don't know where these people get this stuff on Lucania and hate on him. And then I was very shocked to see reports, ratings of the players. Jasper Visa got a 1 out of 10. Who did the ratings? Well, someone there at report. Okay, well, they need to be reprimanded because, yeah, look, it's a little bit difficult. Look, I think the loose trio, the Springboks, were up against it. You know, when we played against Australia, we had, was it Peter Steff to Toy? You know, and Quacha, and you know, it was fantastic. And we're Dwayne, very physical, right, fit for purpose. This weekend, we really only had Quacha who could get his hands on the ball. So, I have to agree with you, probably not supposed to be playing a flank now. I'll probably, uh, will concede that to you now. And yes, I'm so glad I've got And look, and Jasper Visser, sure. So, the whole Lustrio wasn't quite a good fit against the All Blacks. Yeah, right? the balance was a little bit off. The but- balance was off. And so, you're going to find Jasper Visa trying to pull some more weight on this side when he shouldn't really be doing that. He should be focusing on what he's really good at and making the big hits. But yeah, look, I think our props were better fetches than our loose trio were this weekend. Well, the loose trio, Quacha had quite a banger because he made yeah, 18 really. tackles in that game. Quacha is a superstar. and a try. Quacha is genuinely a superstar. And I rate him highly. I just think we need to probably put him in the mix with a proper loose trio combination. Then the player that's either loved or hated in South African rugby, Vili LaRue. Right, so we're going to be favourable towards 100% we're going to be favourable because I also have Vili LaRue's stats here. And I challenge anybody that listens to this podcast or follows rugby that says Vili is not vital to the Springboks to show me footage and statistics as to why not. So are you going to now list off his assists? I am. Okay, let's hear it. So, Vili LaRue has assisted 45 tries for the Springboks. The only international players that have done more? Bowden Barrett with 55, Aaron Smith with 55, and Connor Murray with 47. Honest, to be up amongst all of them, brilliant. Well done, Vili. Look, and you watch Chasing the Sun, you watch all those documentaries, my pimps, my pimps raved about Vili. He's always the guy there. He's always the guy there to marshalling the outside backs. He does a sterling job of it. I think where people are hate on him is because those those games that they watched where the ball 
uh, you know, where it's kicked high and it comes down on him and he knocks it on. We've learned now he had a, a, pinch, shoulder, a yeah. pinched nerve or something along those lines. So it's understandable that he made some, some mistakes in those parts. But, you know, stats don't lie. Last year in 2022, Villy had eight try assists. Eight. Eight. He's got one this year from two games. Do the math. 50%. 50%. So, I'm sorry, Villy LaRue deserves a spot in the Springbok team. Yeah. He's a well-settled player. And I really do hope he continues for the box next year once he's at the Bulls. Because I would like to see him get 100 tests. How many is he on now? I think he's on 85. I say he's close. He's close. Like another but year. He has to play another year. Yeah. Right. All right, Ronnie. Then just on the All Blacks, Mark Talia, he had a pretty good showing on the wing there. I was surprised that they didn't start Caleb Clark over him, but he proved to handle Mapimpi fairly well. Yeah, excellent. And not only him, Will Jordan. Yeah, Will Jordan also. Good Very to exciting. see he's overcoming the migraine issues that he suffered. But that guy's lightning with the ball. Honestly, we should be playing fantasy rugby ultimate dream teams. What did we play back in the day? Because he would be my go-to player. That guy is fire. And then have the All Blacks finally settled their 9-10-12 combination with Smith, Moonga, and Geordie Barrett completing it at 12. Are you asking me? I am. What do you think? I Considering do. Ben Barrett isn't in that mix there. Well, Vaden is at fullback. I, for a long time, said that they've had issues in the center. Since they lost the likes of Nanu and Conrad Smith, the All Blacks never properly settled on a centre pairing again. And to me, it seems like Geordie Barrett has filled that gap pretty well. So you think him and Rico make a good centre pairing? I think they're starting to gel pretty well. So are you acknowledging that, look, that's probably a good inside back setup there with the likes of Richie Mungo at 10? Yeah, so Geordie <laughs> Barrett's very good at 12. I wish you could see his face right now. <laughs> Yeah, I'll have to concede Richie Moonga had a pretty good one, and Bodie is playing pretty well at fullback, so maybe this is pretty close to the team we're going to see released in France later. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I agree, but look, D-Mac. Yeah, D-Mac's also there, but maybe he offers that versatility from the bench. Right, so he's that explosive player that comes on at the last 20 minutes when the, when the All Blacks take it up and, and notch. And then, Ronnie, the bomb squad. There's a lot of talk this week about, you know, should we be deploying the bomb squad so frequently and using it in almost every test? Or should we be starting our best team and bringing on guys that are bench players like the old system used to be? You know, where do you draw the line there? I think this weekend's game, we have to acknowledge that the bomb squad had an impact when they eventually were all on the field. We clawed our way a little bit back into the game. You know, we showed some promise. You know, it even got us out of our seats, jumping a bit when they came on. There was, there was definitely, we went up a level, right? The reality is I don't think that this weekend's game was uh, required a 6-2 split. I think it required a 5-3 split, and I think we would have done a lot better had we had an additional back. You know, when we started moving players around and playing them out of position and putting Lukanya Am on the wing, it didn't sit right with me. And I think, you know, the guys aren't necessarily that comfortable then. If you're playing them out of position, you're not going to learn much. What you're going to learn is what not to do. Yeah, I have to agree with you there, Ronnie. And whilst I do enjoy the bomb squad, I do think it's a horses for courses selection. And I yeah. think when you go against the All Blacks, I've always favoured starting at the likes of Malcolm Marks because he, from the get-go, slows their ball down. I would have liked to have seen the impact that someone like Marku van Staden or Dion Ferry would have had on this game, slowing that All Black ball in the first 20 minutes. You know, so, look, I suppose if you're going to have a 6-2 split and you've got all those forwards, then you need to actually use them to your advantage in the set play. So you need to use them to your advantage in the scrums. 
the lineouts. Exactly. So you mentioned the lineouts there. This is also a big talking point that we've marked out for this episode. It was very interesting to me to see that the box were not contesting the All Blacks lineout. We were not jumping on their throw-ins. Why would you think that is, Ronnie? No, I think it's a total waste. Look, I'm not going to now forget about the World Cup. I think it's a total waste, particularly if you are going to be favoring more forwards with a 6-2 split. And, you know, then you need your forwards to do their job and disrupt the play. Ensure that the opposition doesn't get good, clean ball. Right? That's the purpose of that. So you want your guys competing. You want to disrupt their set plays. And we weren't doing that. So what is the purpose of 6-2 split? I don't know. But with that said... And and been listening to a couple of people. I listened to Swayze the Brain. I listened to what you guys were saying on the WhatsApp group. And it was very interesting. I don't know why we didn't compete. Is it a case of seeing what, what the All Blacks have to offer? But is that not really a waste? We're only seeing what the All Blacks can offer when we could gain so much from practicing our defensive structures. You know, like you paid mention to it there, it's contesting and giving the other team dirty ball has been a Springboks go-to since Rossi and them took over. Make sure that the ball they get is as slow and unclean as possible and disrupt their attack. Why then was there such a drastic change? And it, it didn't look like the players didn't want to do it. It looked like they had an intention not to do it. They, they were not jumping and it, it was even in the New Zealand half. So it's not like they were not contesting because they're bracing to now defend a mall on their line or whatever. We're talking across the park. So then I thought about it a little bit more and I was wondering maybe, just maybe, maybe this was a Rasnaba cook-up that they've come up with. Let's see what the All Blacks do with the optimal ball. What is their go-to optimum attacking pattern? Yeah. And then how do we stop it going forward? I mean, I agree with you. That has to be the explanation because I cannot conceivably understand why Oswey would have done that. When it's so not a quick list. tap down, when Aaron Smith gets the ball beautifully, sends it to Richie Monga, where's Bowden Barrett hovering on the but, field? What's Rico doing? But then my question to you is, would it not be more favorable to the Springboks to disrupt their ball, employ our very powerful defensive structures, disrupt their ball, get in their faces, practice that for all the test matches that are coming up? Why are we trying to see what the All Blacks are going to do and only the All Blacks when they get clean ball? Because I think Rossi sees that we might meet them in a World Cup final. So are we planning now for specific games? Yeah, I just have to clarify there because it could sound the other way. I'm in no way saying that the Springboks coached to lose this test. I don't think that, that any coach ever takes a team to the field to lose a test. But I definitely think there was some experimentation. They just in held some of their cards close to their chest. And so are we giving them the benefit of the doubt and, cop and giving them a cop-out? Is that what's happening here now? I think that that's what I'm, what I'm saying because there's no other reason that I can reconcile yeah. with why the box would not contest at all. Particularly if we have a 6-2 split. I mean, our forwards are on the field. Exactly. And that's it. always been the go-to. Burn yourself out. Go boss on the field. Yeah. Disrupt their ball and someone's coming on the moment you can't. Yeah. So if, you're, if that is your... Is that the game plan that you're... That you're you're planning on employing, then don't waste a 60 split. Bring on an extra back. Give another backline play an opportunity to play. Yeah, I agree with you there, Ronnie. But I think we've spoken enough now about the All Blacks versus Springboks. We had another game on Saturday, and we need to go over to that one. Eddie Jones will not be too happy. Wallaby's going down at home to Los Pumas, and their Australian coach, Michael Checker, 
31-34. Well done, Los Pumas. Yes, I got that call wrong. You know, my rule is on Super Brew when in doubt, back, back, back the home team. And I uh, got that one wrong. Bloody brilliant Los Pumas. Yeah, well, I'm the moron here that picked a draw by accident. <laughs> <laughs> and then it actually looked possible. It was 10 Oh, still, it's still possible. I mean, had the Wallabies now kicked their penalty, it would have been on the money. Yeah, so it was, it was until about the 65th minute. I thought I might be able to claim that I'd done that intentionally. <laughs> and I was uh, 100% willing to claim that. Okay, so now you're saying it wasn't intentional. No, it was not intentional. No, I think it was intentional. You thought you were being a smart ass. <laughs> well, let's be honest. Anyone that picks a draw has balls. And if they get it, fuck, well done. Yeah. It's like picking a number in roulette. Eh? Yeah. Not playing the columns. Yeah, 100%. So I think a telling thing from this in contrast to the, the earlier game we discussed was Buffeli. I think he put on a kicking masterclass, six out of seven. He's making a difference for Los Pumas. And ultimately, three points is what got them the win. Yeah, absolutely. Look, a kicker by all means. But you need an 80% plus kicker. And that's what you need to, to be competitive in the World Cup. And look, we had it in all the World Cups that we previously won. So yeah, Buffelli, well done. I mean, that's one tick box for the Pumas that they don't have to worry about. For sure. And then, you know, it was a seesaw match. There was points exchanged, back and forth, taking the lead, losing the lead. And right down to the death, that was the situation. So, Wallaby's getting an intercept try late into the 70th minutes. Ronnie, I have written it down here for you to pronounce the gentleman's name. Curious to see who scored this try for the Wallabies. I'll give you the first name, Mark. <coughs> so, it's Mark. No, Wonga Nita Wasi. Do you want to try that again? No, Wonga Nita was he. Okay, he was. Because he scored. He was epic. Was, yeah, it was a brilliant, brilliant try. Pacing about 95 meters there for that one. He's got pace. And he's, he's a unit. And Eddie Jones must have been like, yep, it's happening. We're finally winning. We've got this. <laughs> and then the Dutson Bracky broke down. The Dutson Bracky broke down. Because then come Argentina. They come fighting back into it. And yeah, very well done to steal the win there. And like you say, Ronnie, Eddie Jones coming out and he compared the team to a broken down Dutson Bucky. You fix one thing and then another breaks. You know, he says, last week the set pieces weren't good. This week the set pieces were good. Last week we didn't attack. This week we did attack. And then, you know, it's, it's a difficult situation Eddie's in at the moment. It is a difficult situation, but look, it's going to, they have an opportunity against the All Blacks. And, uh, and Eddie, he sounded the challenge. He said, if I were the All Blacks, I'd be worried. So if they can pull that one off, I think uh, their rugby championship has been saved and, and, and people will respect him for that. So look, please, Eddie, please, please win against the All Blacks. Eddie, the whole of South Africa is behind you to beat the All Blacks because <laughs> yeah. that could see us win the rugby championship if we get a bonus point win against Los Pumas. That would be excellent. Eddie. Which is a big ask. It is a big ask, but we would buy you a beer next time you're in South Africa. If it's in Pretoria, a brandy and coke. <laughs> But Ronnie, how great was it also to see Sam Karevi returning? I think he had a good starting game. He's a very powerful center, and that was great to see. Very dangerous on the field. Yeah, Quaid had a bit of a better performance. So there was definite improvements there. But the Wallabies did sustain a massive loss in their midfield with Len Ikatao going out injured. It looks fairly serious, so hopefully he won't miss the World Cup because I think he's a player that Eddie had planned to build quite a bit of their attack around. Yeah, absolutely. That is a... Look, but that happens. You've got to account for that. That's why these guys have big squads, and that's why they have, they're have playing their second, third, and fourth choices in the Copper Stump sessions at, at practice. 
And then, you know, the Aussies struggling in the breakdowns, and this was something Lucky and I had discussed when we were on Max's show, you know, they haven't had the South Africans in the Super Rugby, they haven't had to deal with that breakdown contest. We know the Pumas can be pretty ruthless there. You know, is that something that they're going to have to adapt to much quicker leading up to the World Cup? Well, I don't want to say that that's been in their DNA because I wouldn't attribute that to, you know, like I said, I wouldn't attribute that to Australian DNA. But they have had Pocock back in the day and he was brilliant with slowing down the rucks and he was a master at that game. But but yeah, look, I think it's, it is a challenge, but the Wallabies have got other strengths and that's what they need to favour. To play to, yeah, they need to bring back that Aussie flair, that attacking rugby. But great to see Argentina. This is their first ever back-to-back win over the Wallabies. So very impressive for them. Los Pumas have come a long way from where they started back in the day. Yeah, I just want to point out to everyone listening though, whilst Los Pumas are quietly going about beating the All Blacks in New Zealand and the Wallabies in Australia, they're not doing it to the Springboks in South Africa, even with our dismal showing last year in Durban. Are you saying they're not going to do it against us? No, I'm just pointing fun while I can, because it's a week away from the test again. Don't don't just touch wood, buddy. We don't need to jinx this. Fine, fine. I'll take that back. But also a potential quarterfinal matchup between the Wallabies and Los Pumas. Well, it's interesting. We've obviously gone through a bit of the permutations as well with those pool C, pool D. But you're absolutely right. This is a potential matchup. So does this game lend anything to the mental battle that could arise in a quarterfinal? Yeah, sure. So the Pumas are going to know that they can beat the Wallabies and that they can beat the Wallabies away from their home. And look, the Wallabies were playing at home, so they've got everything to play for if this comes down to a quarterfinal matchup. I don't think that they held anything back. I don't think that they have the opportunity or the privilege to be able to hold anything back. So it's going to be very interesting if this is a quarterfinal matchup. It will definitely be a great contest. But I might potentially be at this game. You're running that's that will be bloody epic if, if you this are. is a quarterfinal i could potentially be here but i think nothing would be worse than watching a quarterfinal between the all blacks and the Springboks and another with the wallabies and los pumas and us eliminating each other out of the world cup yeah that would suck that would definitely suck but lastly a big shout out to your boy augustine 99th test another huge impact from him off the bench will he play here at ellis park or will they save his hundredth for a week later when we face los pumas in Buenos Aires? Look, I think whichever one it is, he's going to get his 100th against the Springboks. Yeah. And, uh, and the Springboks would uh, would do well to show him a bit of respect, maybe give him a shirt or something, because he is the legend of the game. And look, I had a conversation with him a couple of days ago. He asked me for my, my famous Bobotti recipe once again. And you won't even give that to me. No, no you didn't no. give it to him. And he's a legend, honestly. He's the nicest guy you could speak to if you ever get the opportunity to. Oh, what, a, what a gentleman of this game. Yeah, I would consider it a huge privilege for his 100th to be against the Springboks because not only is it his 100th, it's the first Test Centurion from the Argentinians. Really? It is. Not even sure. Contempomi or anyone Contempomi. like that? No, it's okay. The first. Wow. Well done. So yeah, that'll be very lacquer. And then lastly, sorry Aussies to rub a bit of salt into the wound, but Tonga getting a 27-21 win over Australia, eh? You're making fun of the Australians. Eh? It makes me very nervous for Pool B. Yeah, it does, because Tonga is in our pool for the World Cup. And that was not a very diluted Aussie team. You had, um, what's his name? The prop Thor, the Tongan Thor starting in the front row. Bernard I mean, Foley was playing. Bernard Foley. There was a few big test players that were in that game. So, yeah, Tonga looking a little bit dangerous. And I'm not happy that they're getting such good prep games before the World no, Cup. No, it's, it's a hell of a... It's, it makes me very nervous. And to be honest, and, and I'll... I'll, I'll admit this. I never thought of Tonga as 
potential, uh, you know, speed bump. You know, we did push it very close in years past, but, you know, I'm very nervous for Pool B because, you know, they've got the opportunity to injure Touchwood or uh, or disrupt our momentum. Yeah, that's for sure. It's definitely going to be a tough battle with the Tongans. They always bring crazy stuff to the World Cup and we'll have to wait and see what they show up with. Then, Ronnie, we have finally got the World Cup Super Brew going. I'm very excited for that. We're almost up to a thousand guys in the pool already. And it's 52 days now away from the World Cup. 51 if you guys are tuning in on Wednesday morning. Very, very excited to be competing against everyone. Yeah, absolutely. So we have a Super Brew pool that we're busy playing in at the moment. It's very, very, very enjoyable to play because, you know, once you beat somebody who has a podcast like Nick, it's fantastic. But look, we've got a pool that we're busy playing in at the moment. It's it's the rugby championship pool. And as always, I'd like to just announce the top three. Is that okay with yeah, you? Yeah, go for it, Ronnie. Okay, so look, it's only been a couple of games. And uh, so there's a lot of a lot of players, a lot of people on the same amount of points. But, you know, it's probably the gross margin point that differentiates them. So I'm going to go from third. So third being Jan. So that's Jan Duploy. He's on five points. We then in second place have Peter, Peter Lavelle. Also on five points. And then in first place, we've got Fantasy Benner, aka Benner. He is in Kenya and uh, he's also on five points. Lacker Benner, one more round and you could be our superest of brew, so keep it up there. And for those wanting to join the World Cup Super Brew Pool, the pool code is SMOGDEAL, S M O G D E A L. If you can't hear us well on the pod, please check it out on all our socials. It is there. And yes, I'm continuing to talk. Before Ronnie asks me to use it in a sentence again. So can you use it in a sentence? Can you, Ronnie? Yes. Pumalanga entered into a smog deal with the, re- with the South African government to reduce pollution in the province. Well done, Ronnie. There we go. So smog there you deal. have it, guys. Smog deal. <laughs> so, Ronnie, another few things that we need to chat about before the end of the episode here. First, let's jump over to this global calendar and global tournament that has been announced. So for those that don't know, yeah, it was a few weeks ago. We're only touching on it now. We have raised it before. We have raised it before, but it's going to be beginning in 2026. It's going to feature all six nation sides as well as the four Sanzar teams. It's going to be played in the existing July and November windows. Plus two invitationals. Exactly. As Ronnie says. So two additional sides will be uh, included in the Southern Hemisphere side of the pool, and that will be for Sanzar to determine. Who would you want those teams to be, Ronald? No, look, it has to be a Pacific Island nation, right? And then our honorary Southern Hemisphere team, Japan. It could be Japan. Maybe we throw some some luck towards one of the African nations, try and pull them up and curry some favor because they did vote against us hosting the 2023 World Cup and Africa Rugby should not be doing that considering their offices are in Saru's building in Cape Town. Absolutely. But saying that, there's going to be 10 teams to participate, plus the two that will still be selected and announced. The competition will take place in alternating years, so not in World Cup years and not in Lions Series years. But does this change the rugby landscape, Ronnie? Because you're going to go for one team, either New Zealand, Australia or Springboks, you're going to have World Cup, this tournament, Lion Series, this tournament, World Cup again. That's five years of big competitions. Yeah, it's very disruptive. And I think traditionally we, South Africans and the All Blacks and many other teams, we work in a four-year cycle. It's the World Cup cycle. You, you start rebuilding after the World Cup. And this changes that, or, or it doesn't really, maybe. For some teams, they're going to continue favoring the four-year cycle and, and targeting the World Cups. 
But with the introduction of this, you're going to have world champions, if you will, in between World Cup years. So Like Miss Universe. Like Miss Universe and Miss World. It's, we don't really know <laughs> yeah, who's, who's, who's on, who in the zoo. Who's who in the zoo. But the reality is that teams are going to be targeting those competitions. Or they'll be targeting the World Cup. And if they're really lucky, they can somehow pull off both and win both that tournament as well as the World Cup. And they would make them double champions. So does this, what are we, World Cup universe champions then? I don't know. It's just such a mouthful. <laughs> but I mean, does this detract from the World Cup? Because now you're going to have the top 10, 12 teams competing there. Yes, there's going to be a second tier competition with promotion and relegation, which is great for the the lower teams in the game to get this exposure and regular game time. But the reality is those 12 teams are the ones competing for the World Cup title. Look, you also have to ask yourself, does promotion and relegation only happens in 2030, right? So it's going to be four years locked in with the 12 teams that there are. So if you're in that bottom tier, it's going to take a while before you can start playing in your relegation matches and earning your, 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 your place in the, in the top tier. And, and yeah, look, I think it takes away from the World Cup but it adds elsewhere, you know, so Wales is going to be able to, to play to be number one in the world in some sort of tournament where they can't act when they can't necessarily win the World Cup, right? So for us, you know, we're, as South Africans, we love the World Cup because we seem to be pretty good at winning gold medals there and, and the All Blacks as well. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be pretty sad that it takes away from the World Cup, but other nations are going to be happy that there's more opportunity to, to flex their muscles. Yeah, I think you're right, Ronnie. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I think generally all of us are quite opposed to change with the game we love. But I think we need to be open to this. You know, we want a global season. This is the first step in that direction. And if it grows the sport, great. I'm all for it. At the end of the day, let the main thing be the main thing. I just want to be clear. I'm not for it. I'm going to disagree with Makos. He's a very nice guy. <laughs> I'm not for it. Let's just stick to what we know now. I like the rugby championship. I like the mid-year tours. I like the end of year tours. Uh, I, I like, well, I want it to change, but you know, I'm not the boss. Yeah, so well, it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out, Ronnie. And then let's just take a look at the Johnny Sexton incident. It's about time. So I think I'm going to take a bit of a, a legal standpoint on this and point out some of the flaws I see in this judgment. But let's just start. And let's go. There were three incidents that old Johnny Boy was charged with. Oh, not just one. Not just one. There were three. And actually, when you go through the judgment, there should have been five. But the three that he was charged with, incident one, shortly after the end of the match, Mr. Sexton approached the match match officials and on three separate occasions gestured toward them and or spoke to them inappropriately, including at least as acknowledged in the letter from the club, that it was a disgrace the match officials had not got the big decisions right. Incident two, the start of the medals presentations. While accompanied by a young child, Mr. Sexton stood behind the match officials, looking at them and directing further inappropriate comments at them. Incident three, after the medal presentation, Mr. Sexton approached the match officials and followed them a short distance as they left the field before walking away. Count three, he was dismissed on. Counts one and two was found guilty of. All right. That's not good. That's very bad for the game. That's very bad for the game. And I'm very disappointed as a starting point with the the sentence that was handed down here. Because on top of these three incidents, there was also the the tunnel incident, which wasn't forming part of this. And 
There was also the incident against the head of referees in the stand prior to the first approach to the day's match officials. So there were actually five match day incidents this guy was involved with, and apparently World Rugby's just okay with that. Well, they're not okay with it. They did punish him. Did they, though? Right, so what is the punishment? Do you have it there before I have my two cents? Yeah, so his punishment is a three-match ban. He has to miss the three warm-up games leading up to the World Cup, but he will be free to play in the World Cup, which is a bit of a disgrace to me. And I did see someone on our page comment, and I thought it was pretty accurate, that the only way Sexton was getting an eight-week ban or an eight-match ban was if Ireland had eight warm-up games. Yeah. Look, based on the punishment, and I agree with you, I, I think potentially you could have been punished for longer. I think he, what, he's, what he did was disgraceful. The reality is he was not playing in the game. He wasn't a person on the field. He was essentially a spectator. However, he's so closely involved with, with rugby and the teams and world rugby that he needs to behave. And he didn't do so. And we as South Africans a little bit sour based on the fact that Rusty was banned for a full year for, for putting out a tweet. But look, I want to say that it is going to be incredibly difficult for Ireland and the Irish national rugby team to perform when going into, going into the World Cup when their fly half and their key playmaker hasn't got match, uh, match time experience. Or, yeah, game time under the belt. Game time under the belt sounds maybe way better. <laughs> no, look, Ronnie, I get the sentiments around it and the Irish wanting them to be there. But I take huge exception to the Irish on social media claiming that only the South Africans whinge about the ref. Even today still doing so. Because that's exactly what your captain did. And just to make it clear as well, Johnny Sexton has not apologized to the match officials. He hasn't. He has not. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And this now from a legal perspective there really is what no really hurts me. Because not only has he not apologized, they did not include in the order that he must apologize. They said that they trust that he will. Rassi had to apologize. Rassi had to apologize. We use this as a non-prejudicial order in legal terms where, yes, the person says they're going to do it, but why not include it in the order? The matter's there. You've got a basis to fall back on. And for me, that illustrates blatantly the kid gloves with which this matter was dealt with. Absolutely. Then what irks me even more about this is Leinster's response to the, the accusations here. Leinster has received a suspended fine, but they said the only reason Johnny Sexton was close to the refs is because he approached his teammates and not the refs, and he was talking to his teammates and not to the refs. If that's the case, why has he been found guilty of the other things? Yeah, that's And just speaking to the ref. He even admits, Johnny Sexton, that he expressed something to the ref, but claims that he doesn't remember what he said. Well, ridiculous. Fine, yes, you have your right to remain silent. I'll give you that one. But don't come with this nonsense now from Leinster. And I'm sorry, that's not an admission of guilt. So how did they get a suspended fine for that one? Then, just to draw some comparisons, Ronnie. Carl Sinclair, two-match ban for uttering the words, are you fucking serious? (laughs) In a game, in the heat of the moment, he he says that. Okay, two games. Johnny Sexton's not involved in the match day preparations, the match day performance, and he's not a member of the team on the day. Comes onto the field and behaves like that. Only gets a one match longer suspension. Then you've got Jack Noel, who tweeted, wasn't even to the face of anybody, and he had to attend a refereeing course, and he was fined for a tweet in which he described the ref decision as one of the worst decisions he's ever seen. No swear words on Twitter, 
Not to the ref's face. I mean, where where's the precedence in all of this? Yeah, that's completely unacceptable. There's some clear bias that that has gone unaddressed. Yeah, some clear bias in the disciplinary proceedings. But World Rugby has now set a precedent that this is okay. I don't know how they can be so outraged about what went on with Ben O'Keefe after the Super Rugby final and then think that this is okay and this is a an alright sentence to hand down. Be that as it may, sport is brilliant. Sport has a way of humbling everybody and I'm a strong believer in karma. Me too. So that will be dealt with by the rugby gods as and when and how they see fit. We will leave it up to them. I don't think we'll chat about it again on the pod now. We'll consider this issue closed. But yeah, that's that, eh, Ronald? Let's move on. So then, Ronnie, lastly, I think the under-20s, you know, France getting a big victory there, 50-14 over the Irish. Very well done to the French under-20s. Very scary, right, if you're not from France. Very scary because that shows that they've got another great up-and-coming talent pool at their disposal, which worries me a little bit. Worries me for the World Cup. It worries me for the next cycle too. Definitely. And then, Ronnie, this week we're not going to do a May Fork Chorn Confessions because I'm, in all honesty, still heartbroken. Can't believe what went on last week with the retirement of big Franz Stein. Yeah. So I think we just need to dedicate a moment here to the big man. He had the longest spanning career of any Springbok player. Starting on the 11th of November 2006 until his last test, which was played in Durban on the 24th of September 2022. You were there. You were at his last game. I was at France's last game. And his career spanned a total of 15 years, 317 days in the green and gold. Two World Cup medals. Two World Cup medals. British and Irish Lions. Two rugby championships. Unbelievable. Tri-Nations rugby championships. France has done it all. France has been an absolute legend of the sport. And honestly, I don't think we'll ever see a talent like his again. But this isn't the last we'll see of him. This is not the last. He's going to teach somebody to kick a ball 65. Yes. Unfortunately, he's only got daughters. Because we could have used a young France to come through Greybloom and (laughs) set the world alight again. But Ronnie, the player that had the closest career to France is Victor Matfield. Oh. And he was 14 years, 122 days. So France, more than a year on top of that. And, and the reality is France, they could have got a lot more. In his middle years, when we fell out of favor with Springbok rugby, he could have been 150 uh, Springbok. To say that France then graced the field with the likes of Osterrand and then got to be there for Kane and Moody making his debut. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, France, just a big shout-out from us. We really appreciate what you did for the sport, everything you did in the green and gold, in the Sharks jerseys, in the colours of Montpellier, for the Cheetahs. Thank you, and shout-out to a massive legend of the game. Legend. And that's a wrap, guys. And Bills, if you enjoyed this episode and didn't mind our terrible puns, please do us a solid and smash that like button. Remember, subscribing to our podcast may not make you a better rugby player but it will make you more knowledgeable around the bry while screaming at the TV. We might not have the biceps of a prop or the speed of a winger, but we've got enough rugby banter to keep you entertained for the entire season. Grab it up, light the bry, and we'll catch you back here next Wednesday. Mm-hmm.